As promised in this program a couple of months ago, we were going to bring back Stephen J. Harper, adjunct professor of law at Northwestern University, and a guy who got our attention from his work on the Pandemic Timeline series, as well as his Trump-Russia timeline, both of which used to be on BillMoyers.com. We've enjoyed talking to him. He's full of insights, and we need some more insights as we move forward into 2022, heading toward the midterm elections. So we're happy to say welcome back to Radio Parallax, Stephen Harper. Thanks, Doug. It's always a pleasure to have a conversation with you. Well, I guess the theme uh, that you suggested we, we should go with today is accountability. Because I'm looking at The Week magazine, and they're saying... Headline, prosecuting Trump, is there enough evidence? With Merrick Garland's picture. <laughs> you know, and, and, there, and there's an article, articles all over the place, CNBC, about Trump being guilty of numerous felonies, according to the prosecutor, under the Manhattan District Attorney, who seems to be dragging his feet. So is Trump going to be held accountable? Well, that is the question, right? How many times can he be the Harry Houdini of the criminal justice system? And I think we'll, we'll probably find out. Um, and people forget that there's a really long list of stuff that you can talk about when you talk about Trump and accountability or the absence, at least so far, of accountability. The one thing I would say at the beginning, though, I would, I would, I would, I would throw in this caution or caveat, which is that the fact that, he, that there has not yet been something that looks like accountability in a number of different possibilities where it could happen doesn't mean that it isn't actively underway and could not still happen. Well, that, that's true, but, but to quote Jennifer Rubin in the Washington Post, who was repeated in the week, the cautious, circumspect U.S. Attorney General has insisted he will, quote, follow the facts on the insurrection and the larger effort to nullify the vote, but there's no indication the Justice Department is pursuing Trump himself despite mounting evidence of lawbreaking. Yeah, maybe, but, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff happening. If you want to, we can start with that one. Yeah. Garland is going to be a very careful judicious and tight-lipped um, person in terms of however he's proceeding in whatever way he's proceeding. We already know that there are, there are grand jury subpoenas. We know there's an investigation of some kind happening. We know that the investigation, at least I think we know, is, is steadily working itself way upwards uh, into the Trump inner circle of, of advisors. And, and I, don't, I don't conclude from that that it, that it means that Trump is off the hook. I conclude from that that it means that that there's still something going on. Now that could be a triumph of hope right. over reality, um, but but that's the that's the way I would at least at this point uh, characterize it. Now, having said that, I would also say that there are areas uh, where we could certainly be, we, we certainly could and perhaps should be seeing or at least hearing a little bit more about what the Department of Justice is doing. For example, does anyone remember? Uh, uh, special counsel Robert Mueller's determination that there were a, ha a dozen or so potential felonies for obstruction of justice that that uh, at least deserved attention, at least if not at least some consideration. Of course, Attorney General Barr at the time uh, squelched all that. That doesn't mean that he was right because he he was absolutely not right. He he was running a politicized Department of Justice, um, and and he was the top political operative for Trump in that department. But to a large degree, did he not make that stick by coming through with his, 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 his here's my thumbnail sketch, and it doesn't look that bad, folks. Uh, hasn't he yep. more or less gotten away yeah. with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Barr got away with that. Absolutely. Um, only history will judge him, um, and it, it'll judge him harshly. Now, whether or not Trump gets away with it, 
we'll see. But uh, in that respect, I'm less I'm less optimistic than I am about some of the insurrection-related stuff. For example, um, on on a number of the obstructive acts that special that the special counsel uh, Mueller identified as having, you know, evidence, substantial evidence of uh, of an obstructive act, substantial evidence of, of the requirements of a crime. Some of these things are slipping away by virtue of the five-year statute of limitations. Oh, man. So, for example, the, the, uh, when he asked, when Trump asked Jim Comey if he could give Mike Flynn a break, you know, essentially let him off the hook, well, that was in February of 2017. The five-year statute of limitations on that particular act expired in February of 2022. There are a whole range of these other things that are coming due. For example, Trump obstructed justice in his attempts to fire Mueller, whether he obstructed justice in his attempts to curtail Mueller's investigation. This summer, the statute's going to run on those. Statute Good of limitations, Lord. that is. Um, yep. And you get into some of the some of the equally onerous, you know, really horrible things, you know, ordering his, his uh, White House counsel to deny that, that he attempted, to, that Trump attempted to fire Mueller. Uh, that, in February of 23, is going to is going to expire by virtue of the statute of limitations. And, of course, once you get into 2023 and in the middle of 2024, uh, where you have more things that can expire, like uh, the way he handled Manafort up to and including the pardon, right? the way he handled Stone, Roger Stone, up to including the pardon, where on both of those, I might add, Mueller found that there was substantial evidence of all of the key elements necessary to prove obstruction of justice. What Mueller concluded is that he couldn't do it, that would have to wait until Trump was a private citizen. Well, you know, Trump's been a private citizen now for, you know, 18 months, 15 months. Um, uh, where's the accountability? I mean, I was among those who were saying, you know, one of the reasons that Trump desperately needed to win re-election is because if he can manage to win re-election, the statute of limitations on his crimes will run during his second term. Well, it's running but he doesn't have a second term. Um, and, and I, for one, am, at least to this point, am discouraged just because I just don't, I don't have confidence that there's anything happening there. I don't know. There could be. It could be that something's happening, and it's just, you know, in, in such a such a deep uh, cone of silence that there's just no, no word about it. But, yeah. but there's no ambiguity about some of these statute limitations running after five years. Well, Trump's allies have not deserted him uh, during in, in, in his... As he's left the presidency, I, I had to laugh at, at what Rupert Murdoch, via the Wall Street Journal, had to say about all this was that, well, they got to tread carefully on, on going after Trump for this, uh, uh, the criminal intent on the insurrection, because, you know, he did get really bad advice from his lawyer, really atrocious advice. And, you know, may, and if he believed his lawyer, then, you know, he's off the hook. It's just Yeah, it, it doesn't work that way. I mean, there is something called an advice of counsel defense that you can assert in certain situations. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, when you once you assert that defense, you're then in a position where you then open yourself up to having the lawyers testify to what they actually told you. And so, if the, if the lawyers told you, and there's a there's a there's a growing mountain of evidence coming most recently from the judge out in out in California who who concluded that this guy John Eastman was, along with Trump, engaged in what he thought was more probably than not um, a felony relating to uh, the, uh, the uh, attempt to subvert the, the, the election in 2020. Um, yeah. and, so the, and so the evidence, the evidence is mounting that there were plenty of people telling Trump, 
uh, no, you can't do this, no, this is illegal, no, you can't do that. Um, and once, once you're in that world, the, the, the fact that you have crummy lawyers is not going to get you off the hook. Well, we, I have to laugh at, at – I, <laughs> I mean, Congress is looking into this, and they're, they're trying to get the Department of Justice to, uh, to, to take some actions. Uh, but I just had to laugh at this, this recent development of a seven-hour gap in White House call records where Trump was evidently using a burner phone or, or, or just basically getting off the official record uh, so that – I mean, this strongly suggests that you know, he knew he was committing crimes. Those of us who are old enough to remember Rosemary Woods' uh, yes. you know, 18-minute gap, yes. um, you know, Trump makes Nixon look like an amateur uh, <laughs> in, in every single criminal aspect, um, and the uh, the you know the, the the notion that Trump, you know, as, as he as he apparently said to somebody, I don't even know what a burner phone is, is uh, some of the people closest to him just were just in stitches over that one. Um, because he, he apparently used them. Um, yeah, sure. Regularly, sure. Um, so you got the piece. You got the piece of accountability relating to the Department of Justice. Um, I, I'm going to call that a, a mixed bag. I'm going to say I'm, I'm disappointed about what hasn't happened yet on the Mueller obstruction front because it really does suggest Barr's uh, smokescreen uh, is is, is going to work at least to get Trump off that hook. I hope I'm wrong. I hope there's still some possibility that those crimes get revisited and it was certainly Mueller's belief that once Trump was out of office all this all this would come home to roost indeed one of the reasons he said it was necessary to proceed with gathering the evidence and so forth was because it was important to preserve that evidence while memories were fresh so that at some later time when he wasn't in office uh, you could just pick up with a criminal investigation were left off that's discouraging uh, to say the least um, I haven't given up hope that on the insurrection there there aren't going to be developments, although you mentioned the January 6th committee, and I, I'm sure you saw the, uh, the latest developments there were the, the so-called split or d- disagreement among the committee members as to whether or not they should make a criminal referral of, of Trump and, and his crimes uh, to the Department of Justice. Apparently, there's plenty of evidence to do it, uh, but there, people are concerned, and, and this I just shake my head at this notion, they're concerned that somehow doing that might politicize <laughs> the process. I just have to laugh. Get, I'm sorry. Yeah, just, you know, sure. Well, you know, either you, you I'd hate to, to see a thing like that get politics involved. That would be terrible. Yeah, well, yeah, and you have to laugh, otherwise you cry. Right? Um, the the and, and the notion is somehow that if the if the congressional committee, which is bipartisan, you know, Republicans want you to forget that, but Liz Cheney's there, uh, Kinsinger's there. Um, there are Republicans on that committee who have been very outspoken about uh, Trump's, Trump's misconduct in all of this. And the notion that you would have a bipartisan committee decide not to do a criminal referral because, and, and this, is the, this is where I just fall off the track, they're afraid that that might somehow put pressure on, on Garland not to, to bring charges because it will make Garland think that his Department of Justice will then become too political because it's just doing Good what Lord. the committee... It's nonsense, right? Yeah, it's yeah, nonsense. exactly. And, and, and here's, the pro, here's the real problem with, with that analysis. Uh, number one, they've already done criminal referrals, right? So they've already done a criminal referral of Steve right. Bannon. A few days ago, they did one for Mark Meadows, his chief of, former chief of staff, They did and for Scavino. Um, so they have done criminal referrals because that's what the facts and the law have warranted. 
they're largely symbolic. The, the, nobody's required. The Justice Department, as, we're, as we know, is not required to do anything just because Congress says, you know, we think there's a crime here. You better take a look. But the notion that having already made some criminal referrals, you're not going to make a criminal referral of Trump, uh, I think, provides uh, endless ammunition to the Republicans to say, look at this, this committee, they did these other referrals. They couldn't even find enough to send a referral over to the Department of Justice. Um, so what, what could, the, you know, this is all just politics. And, and now you're up into the the election cycles, and, and, and it's a mess anyway. So it's it's I think it's just a silly, silly, silly argument. But Well, it's April of 2022. We have a big election coming up in November of 2022. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping some things will happen that might play into that election, even though they're, they're talking like, well, we can't we can't have that. But I need we need to have you come back like a you know I think two month intervals to just discuss the progress that's being made in exactly this area. Yeah, I, I'm happy to do it because it's it's I think it's really important. Now, one of the things that could be happening in the late summer, early fall, is the uh, the trial of Trump's former financial guy for the Trump Organization, Alan Weisselberg. Um, that could that could become kind of interesting unless. Unless it somehow goes away in the way that the, uh, the the Manhattan District Attorney has allowed the um, the Trump Organization to essentially go away over the strenuous objections of a of a first rate uh, trial criminal trial lawyer Mark Pomerantz, who said, "Look, you know Trump committed felonies. You know it. I know it. We all know it. The evidence supports it. And for whatever reason, you know your office isn't willing to proceed." So I'm out of here, uh, basically, is uh, in a nutshell what Pomerantz's uh, uh, re- resignation letter said. Alvin Bragg is trying to, you know, tread water there by saying, no, no, it's still open, it's still open, and, you know, we, we may find stuff and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, keep looking. That's an area, yeah. yeah, that's an area where I think you can legitimately say, um, well, so much for accountability. The other area we can say over on the federal side in, in New York, on the Southern District, where the, where you can say that so much you know accountability has gone down the tubes, everyone's now forgotten about it because it seems so silly and, and insignificant. But Stormy Daniels was a big deal once upon a time. You know, Trump is individual number one. You know, the unindicted co-conspirator who everyone said you know that again the day after he's out of office, there's there's a crime right there. Right. And the statute limitations on at least the the portion of Trump's behavior in which he's uh, directed Michael Cohen to make the hush money payment to Stormy Daniels expired. The statute of limitations on that particular piece of it expired in uh, last October. Uh, there's an argument that there's still other things that he did after that that would keep the statute alive, alive but I have no hope that, that, that there'll be accountability on that one either. I, wanna, I do have one other place where I think there could be, there could be a, a, a real... Uh, uh, accountability or day of reckoning, and that is the Fulton County District Attorney's investigation in Georgia. Oh God, yes. Over, uh-huh. Yep. Uh, I mean, that's one where you know you've got the tapes, you've got Trump on tape. Uh, I- I'm pretty confident that 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 investigation is still proceeding uh, apace. Uh, we know there was a grand jury in panel to take a look at at the case. That could be a problem for Trump. Let's let us hope that is a problem for Trump. We're talking about America and our national scene, but, but there's a war going on in Ukraine right now. It's being directed by Vladimir Putin. Uh, you have quite a bit of expertise having looked at the relationship between Russia and Trump. And, and right now, I think that's, that seems to be something we should, we should 
talk a little bit about because Putin's in, in a, he's in a whole lot of trouble right now. Uh, the world seems to be aligning against him. The war isn't going very well. And yet here, here domestically, Trump is, doesn't have a bad word to say about him. And I think the two of them will be necessarily driven together by what's going on. Yep, that's exactly correct. You know, again, this goes back to Mueller, the Mueller report. You know, the Trump-Putin connection and, and what's happening in Ukraine and Trump's continuing inability, it seems, to say a single critical word about Putin. I mean, even though he'll occasionally say something like, well, you know, the war is a travesty. He never criticizes Putin personally. And, you know, his initial take on the war, of course, as, as, you, as everyone saw, was that he was savvy. He was a genius. You know, he was going to get all this land for, for $2, $2 billion in sanctions. That's a pretty good deal. Um, <laughs> it's not looking like a very good deal right now to all, of the, all the Russian troops coming back in body bags. Uh, and the uh, artillery that's blown up everywhere. But you can go way back into the late 70s and early 80s, you know, Trump's visits to Moscow and in and, and Russia and so on and so forth. But if you even go a little more recently, just into the 2015-2016 campaign, you know, Trump was the one who told his advisors, look, I'm not going to go to war over Ukraine. He was the one who, got, who approved and, and pushed his advisors to weaken the Republican tra- platform in terms of support for Ukraine. Right. Back in 2016. Right. I'd forgotten that. Yes, he did do that. It's one of the reasons, actually, that we're, we're in the process right now of, of putting uh, on the Moyers, the Bill Moyers site, which you mentioned in the introduction, uh, still has this, the Trump-Russia timeline Good. Uh, on its site. And we're in the process of moving that to the homepage because it's really now more properly called the Trump-Russia-Ukraine interactive timeline. Sure. Because if you really think about it, you know, what should have been Trump's first impeachment would have been over Russia uh, and the the Trump-Russia and the election uh, and the obstruction. That should have have resulted in his first impeachment. But because of the way Barr was able to really preempt uh, serious consideration of Mueller's report, he 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 never had to face that one. First actual impeachment became Ukraine, which, of course, would have fed, fed perfectly into the earlier impeachment of Trump and Russia trying to help Trump and Russia celebrating the election when Trump won because this was going to make its geopolitical battles easier uh, in, in Europe. And, and then you have the sort of the third step, which is the second impeachment, which is, which is the insurrection. You know, you can string these all these things together and they, they really line up pretty well and, and they all... And you, could, and you talk about the accountability theme, the absence of accountability in Trump in the Trump-Russia situation emboldened Trump to then do what he did in trying to hold American aid hostage to Ukraine, which resulted in his impeachment, and the, and the absence of, of spines among the vast, vast majority of Republicans in Congress, especially in the Senate, um, allowed him to walk away from that impeachment. Um, and that, in turn, emboldened him to try to do what he did, which is the ultimate act of, uh, of um, I don't even know what to call it, the, the ultimate act of murder on, on American democracy. Well, when you come back, we need to talk, we need to insert Russia, a little, a little bit more about Russia and Ukraine into this. I just saw the uh, documentary Citizen K by Alex Gibney on the, the Kord- Kordovsky case, and uh, it was like, 
it was a lot of background in there that I thought was really useful to what's going on right now. The documentary is now three years old, but it really has a lot of data in there that's of interest, I think, to listeners. Yeah, I have to take another look at it. I haven't seen that one in a while. It's all consistent. It's all perfectly consistent. And I'll tell you what, if Trump is able to skate away from what happened on January 6th and all the things leading up to January 6th, what's left? Running for president again. <laughs> that's, that, that's what's left. And, and, if, you, and if, you, if you try and raise an insurrection against the, the, the United States government, according to the Constitution, you're not entitled to hold office again. And, and that was another thing, another legal matter that seems to be falling by the wayside. Yeah, well, you know, the problem there is, is, is the definition of insurrection. What is it required, you know, to be, you know, involved in, an, in, a, in a rebellion or insurrection? Well, I was watching TV on January 6th. It looked pretty good to me. Yeah, me too. But, you know, the, the nexus always, you know, if you think about, if you think about the way uh, organized crime operates, the guy at the top hardly ever has to give an express direction right? Uh-huh. The, the people around him know what he wants. Mm-hmm. And I think this was Michael Cohen, I think, had said this. You know, you, you did, he didn't have to actually give the order. You knew what he wanted. He made it clear what he wanted. I don't like this person. I don't like that person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if, you, if, you're, if, if you're in that kind of a milieu, um, it's, it's, it becomes trickier to pin specific things on the guy at the top, because the guy at the top is smart enough to use somebody else's phone, for example, although that's not very smart because they're phone records. Um, burner phones are a different issue. And, and ultimately what, what undoes people like Trump is the willingness of strong, really strong law enforcement people who are willing to say, all right, we, we better stand up to this guy or he's going to roll over all of us. Um, and and that's, what, that's what has to happen here. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen here, and let's have you come back in June and, and talk, about, uh, talk about how things are proceeding. Yeah, by then we'll have a better idea, too, how, how well or poorly some of these primaries are going to go, uh, primary elections are going to go for Trump in key states where he wants to put in secretaries of state uh, who, who will be oh, in a boy. position yeah. to really flip elections, close yeah. elections, or even not close elections. Um, and and that that is going to be a critical piece of this. You know, I wish I wish people would stop sort of minimizing the elections in November of this year by calling them the midterms. If you analogize them to college or any kind of uh, scholastic situation, they're far more far closer to final exams because what happens in November of 2022 is going to really set the table for good or for ill. Yeah, we forget the house. The house you have to get reelected every two years. Yes. Well, and, and, and if, the, if, you, if his Secretary of State candidates win in key swing states in 2022, then all these people who, have, who are still on record as saying, and, and we're talking about his candidates now for the Republican nomination uh, in, in 2022 uh, for Secretary of State, um, these are all people who think, who think Trump won their state. These are all people who would love to decertify, which you can't do, uh, the election of Biden. And these are all people who are convinced that there's a there's essentially a conspiracy out to get Trump, and they're they're going to make sure that that doesn't happen. So uh, you're going to have really potentially really important positions uh, held by people who could be uh, worse than political hacks. And that that should all be clear by June. Then I think our elections are in May, and I guess June. Yeah, May. There are a few primaries that slip a little bit later, but they'll be we'll have a pretty good okay. idea. Okay. All right. 
It is heartwarming as we close to note that uh, Dr. Mehmet Oz has brought together Donald Trump and Oprah Winfrey under the same banner. <laughs> oh, boy. Someday, someday we'll wake up and it'll all just have been a bad dream, right? I would like to think so. In closing, there was something we we spoke preparatory to this this discussion. Uh, you made a statement that you wanted me to remind you of. Oh yes. Well, we were talking about we were talking about uh, about uh, the the confirmation hearings for the Supreme Court now Supreme Court Justice uh, Ketanji uh, Brown Jackson, and and I was mentioning that, and this is true of of a number of the Secretary of State candidates. You know, QAnon is now 25% of Republicans. People, people don't Good realize Lord. that, but QAnon it is no longer a far-right fringe group. QAnon is 25% of Republicans. So if you wonder why you were seeing people like uh, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz uh, focus on pedophiles, it's because that's a core tenet of QAnon. Most people, sure. I don't know if people know this or not, but the idea is there's this, this core of Satan-worshipping pedophiles um, that are controlling, they're, they're doing sex trafficking, and they're controlling uh, the, the world's you know, power centers, banks, so forth. Um, and what you and I, what you and I have, have noted from time to time is that guys like Hawley and Cruz, um, who are on that committee asking, pressing uh, the Supreme Court, the, the, the current, what is now the Supreme Court Justice uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson, on sentencing relating to pedophiles, People thought he probably wondered, where is that coming from? And the answer is, that's coming from QAnon. And the thing that's discouraging about that is that the people on that committee, and I include among them uh, Hawley, Cruz, I don't know if Cotton ever went to the express pedophile place, but you know those people are all Harvard and Yale Law School graduates. Hawley Harley, is a Yale Law School graduate, Stanford College. Uh, Cruz is Princeton uh, College, Harvard Law School. Uh, Cotton, I think, is a Harvard College, Harvard Law School, and and I, as a as a Harvard Law graduate, think that it's time. And I don't know how to start a petition for this, but I think it's time to begin to to ask some of these institutions to to implement degree revocation <laughs> programs uh, for the most extreme uh, people who know better um, and are purely pandering. Uh, you know, it's it's. I don't. I can't even say it's unconstitutional. It's just it's just disgusting stuff. <laughs> Frankly, it is, it's really discouraging for the for for me as a lawyer to see that kind of stuff happen. Well, we we encourage you to do exactly that. Send some letters off. We can talk about that two months from now. Yeah, I'll get about as far as that as a, as uh, as apparently Merrick Garland's going to get pursuing Trump for obstruction of justice crimes relating to Russia. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. Stephen Harper, always a pleasure, always informative. Uh, uh, come again in June, and we'll continue this discussion. Happy to do it, Doug. Thanks for the conversation. I went home with a waitress The way I always do That about does it for today's program. Thanks again to Stephen Harper and to Guy Tortorisi. I'm Douglas Everett. This has been Radio Parallax. We'll see you next week. I was gambling in Havana. I took a little risk. Send lawyers, guns, and money. 
dead, get me out of this. 